ending nice and tidy it's a rule i learned in school get your money every friday happy endings are the rule so divide up those in darkness this is jennifer stone with stones throw the world the world is just whirring around in my head faster than ever before stop stop the world i want to get off Hell and high water. <laughs> Fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. Oh, boy. Anything. I want you to do anything to escape the, the vulgarity and violence <laughs> of our leaders and their fact-free fascism. The naked truth streaking across the stages of history everywhere you look. And then, <laughs> then you see what they did. Never mind. Before I start. I want to talk about women today, women writers. But first, I just want to get this out of the way. So I don't talk about it because it just makes me feel sorry for Joe Biden. It's a piece called Father and Son. You can find it in the July 8th issue of The New Yorker, uh, July 8, 2019. Father and Son, Will Hunter Biden's Business Dealings and History of Addiction Jeopardize Joe Biden's Campaign. Right. Uh, the New Yorker has published this. Uh, it's written by Adam Entois, E-N-T-O-U-S, E-N-T-O-U-S. That is the author. Uh, what it does have is a smashing picture of Hunter uh, Hunter Biden, I tell you, he's gay, thinks he's a movie star. What a brat. Uh, never mind. Never mind, I'm sure that a case can be made out uh, for the difficulties he has because his father is uh, uh, one of the big players. Never mind. Hunter Biden, uh, a case, a case to be studied. The face is marvelous, definitely. <laughs> Definitely ready for the movies. Never mind that. This week, I'm staring at faces. Faces, faces, uh, pictures, images. Toni Morrison says that language teaches us, uh, teaches us, yes, to see, see without pictures, uh, Images, images, heroes, women heroes. I have so many of them here. Uh, I want to uh, start with Toni Morrison. She left us recently to go with the ancestors. There's a New Yorker cover. It's not her face. It's a big abstract in black and white. It looks like a splash. You know, it looks like. Throne paint, basically, a black face, white, everywhere else coming out of the mouth and there. You have to look and see it because it's August 19th, 2019. I put it up on the refrigerator because I got to stare at it for a while and 
decide whether I think it's a tribute. Uh, it's pretty, pretty violent. I, I guess, I guess I think of it just as a great splash. It may be, uh, yeah, beautiful. Truth is beauty, beauty, truth, all that good stuff. Uh, oh, writers, writers, uh. I think that Toni Morrison's voice is overwhelming. She is our Nobel laureate uh, back in 1993. She's part of the history of American literature. <laughs> I I heard an interview. She, she said she was worried about what to wear to go to Stockholm and give her speech to the Nobel uh, committee. Uh, now, portraying her in an abstract uh, what is it? Uh, a painting. I, I, I just uh, let let's say that I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and see what I think about that. It's certainly dramatic, and so few Americans have won the Nobel Prize this time. It's a woman and a black woman. <laughs> the image, this image is shocking. I've got to I've got to wait and see. Uh, whether or not it helps me, uh, the magnitude of this great mother, she's nourished me with her stories of survival and salvation, all about human love in all its forms, love is all there's time for. Uh, there's something here in her Nobel speech that I, I, I love because it, it uh, rang a bell with me now with all these young people in Washington trying to tell the uh, adults, <laughs> the, the rulers, the Congress people, uh, what's going on. Yes, she has a, uh, yes, a story in her Nobel speech. The children come to an old woman and they want to know what the hell is going on. Uh, and uh, she wants them she wants the adults to tell her what's going on, uh, what their work could possibly mean, she writes. In the catastrophe this world has become and where, as the poet said, nothing needs to be exposed since it is already barefaced. Our inheritance is an affront. You want us to have your old blank eyes and see only cruelty and mediocrity. Do you think we are stupid enough to perjure ourselves again and again with the fiction of nationhood? How dare you talk to us of duty when we stand waist-deep in the toxin of your past? Right, now, that's 1993 she's writing this, and here are these Youngster, young people, Greta, the beautiful young woman, all these, uh, what is that? The people, the young people who uh, uh, weren't even born in 1993, and they are saying just exactly what Toni Morrison prophesied, they would say. Uh, she goes on to write, uh, she has these young people addressing the old woman, uh, she represents the old wise woman who lives in a little house, you know, just outside of town. The children say, 
You trivialize us and trivialize uh, what is not in our hands. Is there a context for our lives? Is there no song, no literature, no poem full of vitamins, no history connected to experience that you can pass along to help us start strong? You are an adult, the old one, the wise one. Stop thinking about saving your face. Yes. Think of our lives. Tell us your particularized world. Make up a story. Narrative is radical. Creating, creating at the very moment it is being created. We will not blame you if your reach exceeds your grasp. If love so ignites, so ignites your words, they go down in flames. And nothing is left, nothing is left, but they're scald. Or if with the reticence of a surgeon's hands, our words suture only the places where blood might flow. We know you can never do it properly once and for all. Passion is never enough, neither is skill, but try. For our sake and yours, forget your name in the street. Tell us what the world has been to you in the dark places and in the light. Don't tell us what to believe, what to fear, you, you old woman, blessed with blindness you can't speak the language that tells us what only language can. How to see without pictures. Language alone protects us from the scariness of things with no names. Language alone is meditation. Once again, I will repeat, right? Language alone is meditation. Language, language shows us how to see without pictures. Um, near the end of the speech, she goes on and the children say, speaking to this old blind woman, they say, tell us what it is to be a woman so that we may know what it is to be a man. What moves at the margin? What it is to have no home on this place? To be set adrift from the one you knew? What it is to live at the edge of towns that cannot bear your company? Tell us about a wagon load of slaves, how they sang so softly, their breath was indistinguishable from the falling snow. How they knew from the hunch of the nearest shoulder that the next stop would be their last. Look it up. It's Toni Morrison's Nobel speech, Nobel laureate speech, 1993. Now, yes, Toni Morrison uh, had strange, well, not, she, she was raised, uh, well, raised in the South, came up North. Her her heritage is 
the care, the care of uh, great strong women. Yes, <laughs> Dick Cavett show. I remember Dick Cavett said to Toni Morrison, "Oh, I don't know, twenty-five years ago." He said, "Where do you find all these these characters in your books? These great strong women characters? You know, how'd you how'd you make them? Show? Oh, oh, that's that's my family. That's the people that." raised me and brought me here. Uh, they are real. Uh, uh-huh. Kind of interesting because I've got another image here, uh, image of a woman. Mm, it's a photograph, photograph of her face. A woman that was absolutely devoured, devoured by pain. Uh, this picture has got a red background, the red spill onto the face and Nothing abstract about this one, but uh, the reality, uh, the reality of a woman battered beyond endurance, both physically and psychically. This is a martyr. Uh, Tony Morrison was a saint. Anyway, in this picture, this photograph, gray hair tries to soften this image, but the hair is like brittle wire. Uh, it's Andrea Dworkin. She died 14 years ago. She was a suicide, if you believe most accounts. Uh, there are other accounts saying she was murdered. Uh, she was certainly drugged and raped just before her death. Anyway, this martyr, this woman, uh, is being <laughs> reconstructed. The critics are going back and looking at this human being uh, looking at her passionate conviction that women, women everywhere, were dying just because they were female. Uh, look at these pictures, Toni Morrison's childhood, all those strong women, her rich heritage. Andrea Dworkin's mother was too ill to care for her, or she spent most of her time in bed. Her father gave her an intellectual heritage. She was certainly a scholar. She should have been a rabbi. Uh, the book I have with me uh, is her last collection. It's a collage of much of her work. It's called The Last Days at Hot Slit. Last Days at Hot Slit. The Radical Feminism of Andrea Dworkin. The picture of Andrea and this terrific review is in the Times Literary Supplement. Uh, the date on this uh, is August the 2nd of this year, 2019, August 2. Aha! The Times Literary Supplement. Wow! Uh, the picture was taken at the International Book Festival. Uh, I... When I read the book, the first thing I read was some of the letters she wrote to her mother and to her father, asking them to bear with her, to try to understand what she had written and why. And That didn't work out. She, <laughs> she was pretty sure she wouldn't hear from them for a long time. Anyway, uh, she, she did not uh, assume, well, she had she had the fear, I guess she had the hope that they would uh, give her some support. But she must have known, she must have known that uh, 
that wouldn't happen. Uh, and that she would be more alienated than ever. Uh, anyway, these women writers, past and present, they are the ones who show me how to read, how to, how to do the critical writing that gets us beyond the ordinary. Uh, these women give me the courage. Uh, it is mostly their lives. I think when Toni Morrison died recently, I, I read the eulogies and I thought of her eulogy for the great James Baldwin many years ago and she she talked about his love, his tenderness and uh, the way he made her feel. Uh, she said it was like the first turning in the womb. Her life was a testament. Uh, she was a literary saint, and she did go into the dark places to bring us back the wisdom we needed. Uh, Andrea Dworkin went there, and she uh, did not survive the uh, the agonies of this dark world. Uh, I want to read you something from the book. Uh, just a little bit here. Uh, this is the last days at Hot Slit, and uh, it's uh, really too painful, but it does get to the heart of the matter. Andrea Dworkin, in Last Days at Hot Slit, last book, writes, I thought art would save me. Van Gogh, Camus, I thought that I could stand anything. If there was music playing, I was naive. I could walk down the street and believe that each man was someone. I could love with sex, each one the perfect us, the real we. I'd look at the dirty and think, so what? Or the maimed, or the mean. It's pride, the Christians say, Pride's a sin, I think so. Why do I think it is my job to love these loveless men? I will repeat, I, I have marked this for my own essay to try to, try to make uh, sense of the essence of this woman. She wrote, why do I think it's my job to love these loveless men? Footnote here, I remember in my 40s trying to, trying to sort out dreams in which I gave birth to my own father. Andrea Dworkin goes on to write, I think I can suffer. That's why I think it's my job, right? I think it will make me better. I think I can love where there is no love. I think I can't be defeated if I can only accept enough suffering. I can take it. This is the belief of my people, of Jews, of women. Ah, oh, women have this kind of pride to think I can take any pain and still love. And mm, she goes on and on in the same, same vein. 
uh, it's very Christian. She's gone to Calvary. She's ready to be crucified. This woman, I don't know what, well, she says that, well, uh, in the essays, we learn that her, her home, her childhood was in every way shadowed and darkened by the Holocaust. Aha. Uh-huh. She writes, All the times I've died without dying, I'm sick with pain, it's a kind of grief. Crushed under the responsibilities of survival, I need to know everything about terror. I need to see every exploitation, trace the map of it with my own fingers. Ah, yes. Why am I an expert on debasement and filth? I have really bad pheromones. This is true. I have a friend who has seen it more than once. Huge roaches on New York sidewalks run towards me. I change direction, and they do too. They keep rushing towards me. The bad men and the bad bugs. Was I a monster in my last life? Am I paying now? I don't want any more lives or any afterlife. Mm, Her last words here reported to have been, Please help the women. Please help me die. Once again, this terrific picture, a photograph of Andrea Dworkin is in the Times Literary Supplement for uh, August the 2nd, 2019. The photograph bleeds. The caption is, Feminist writing to make your blood run cold. And this is what Toni Morrison, well, I was using. I was going to use something that Toni Morrison wrote that kind of answers this uh, answers this pain of Andrea's. But I don't have time for that. It's too long. What I'm going to read you is Andrea Dworkin's uh, as an excerpt from her book, "The Last Days at Hot Slit," in which she tries to say how her writing, how her writing might be able to uh, change things, alter things, make life easier, better for women. She writes uh, uh, that her style will be her survival. She writes, quote, My only chance to be believed is to find a way of writing bolder and stronger than woman-hating itself. Smarter deeper, colder. This might mean that I would have to write a prose more terrifying than rape, more abject than torture, more insistent and destabilizing than battery, more desolate than prostitution, more invasive than incest, more filled with threat and aggression than pornography. Now, we know that when 
uh, when Andrea Dworkin finally came out and said that pornography was a crime against women, that it was uh, uh, violent, so forth. Uh, that's when uh, she lost she she lost her audience. <laughs> pretty rough, pretty rough. She she um, she was what is that? Uh, cast out, cast out. Uh, she. Uh, she was part of the literary tribe, but uh, I remember, I remember when she came here to KPFA. Ah, right, years ago. I remember I took her hand, her little tiny soft hand. I was astonished that this woman was so frail. Her softness, the little little thing, barely up to my shoulder. How could such as tender, soft creature endure what she endured. And then I thought, uh, it's, what is it? Uh, it it's just it's somebody that vulnerable. How could a male, the wrong kind of male, resist uh, crushing her? She had no resistance. There was no physical strength, no, no um, force in her hand. It was all her mind, her brain, that was her essence. Now, she had been in town, well, at one point she hoped to read at Cody's bookstore here in Berkeley, a book against pornography. But there was a protest march down on Telegraph. They were going to stop her. It was a ferocious crowd of mostly guys carrying signs demanding their right to... <laughs> to well, well, sec sexual, um, uh, well, anyway, pornography is a, a right, free speech, right? And, of course, they won. She stayed in her hotel in San Francisco. It was too violent. Uh, I talked to her on the phone. She said it was useless to try to reach those who could not see the damage done to women by pornography. <clears throat> There used to be a, uh, a trip through Times Square. Feminists took a group of women who were naive and tried to show them the violence done to women by these uh, pornographic images. <clears throat> the Actually, the basic slavery of women. <clears throat> women in chains with both their... Uh, both their vaginas and their mouths cut out, so forth. Anyway, now, we know that there's erotica. Erotica, well, those stories and images, they have shared mutual pleasure, sensual arousal. Uh, but they're not about the foot on the belly, the uh, uh, woman on her knees, the <clears throat> the fascist fascist uh, use of power, degradation. Uh, I think that Andrea Dworkin is just beginning to be understood by a few thoughtful critics. Someone had to go out there and die. Uh, the Guardian in London, I think they understood. I remember they wrote something about her having a male or masculine way of seeing, whatever that means. 
I like best a little book she wrote. No, a little. It's almost a chapbook. It came out of a little press in Palo Alto. It was called The New Woman's Broken Heart. See if you can find that if you're interested in this tragic martyr. A woman killed by the forces of hate. I was going to tell you some bits of her story, but I don't want to. I don't want to spoil your day. This has been Jennifer Stone, as Andrea Dworkin said at the end. Please help the women. Please let me die. This has been Jennifer Stone. Until next time, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Drop the shadows out of This is Miguel Gavilan Murina of Flashpoints and La Onda Bajita, inviting you to join us for a very special Latino Heritage Month movie matinee. Forty years ago, in 1979, Warner Brothers released Boulevard Nights, a film about two brothers and their fight to resist gang lifestyle in East Los Angeles. This film is held in high regard for its cultural importance. It was the first major studio film to heavily represent low-riding culture as an important part of the indigenous Latino experience. The film stars Richard Ignez, Danny de la Paz, and Betty Carvalho. So join us on Saturday, September 28th at 3 p.m. at the New Parkway Theater for a screening of Boulevard Nights with an after-film discussion led by me, Miguel Gavilan Molina. For more information, visit kpfa.org or thenewparkway.com.